0: To a new series from the Messy Reformation. There's been a lot of discussion and deliberation coming out of Synod 2022 around issues of sexuality. Much of the discussion has focused on whether the decisions made were good or bad, helpful or hurtful. However, Synod made some other declarations that we need to pay attention to. Synod repeatedly encouraged churches throughout the CRC to start having discussions about what it looks like to do pastoral care with those who are sexually struggling. Synod stated that the Human Sexuality Report offered sound, introductory guidance for churches that should serve as conversation starters on how to best do pastoral care in these circumstances. Synod also stated that continuing conversation around pastoral care might have a powerful influence on elements of congregational life, such as gospel preaching, faith formation, the diaconate, our missional calling, the sacraments, and church discipline. With these strong encouragements from Synod for continued conversation on the topic of pastoral care for the sexually struggling, the Messy Reformation has decided to begin having some of those conversations, and we plan on dropping these episodes every Wednesday evening. We want to state right away at the beginning of each episode that we view these conversations as the beginning of a conversation. There's no way we can comprehensively discuss every element of pastoral care in such a small period of time. However, we want to start having the conversation and build from here. It's also important to remember that conversations go both ways. We don't want these conversations to remain between the people on the podcast. We want you to get involved as well. As you're listening to these conversations, we would love for you to be in conversation with us. We'd love for you to write down any questions, concerns, or pushback you may have, or anything you really loved about each episode. Then send that feedback to us at themessyreformation at gmail.com. We'll use your feedback to help us build future episodes to further answer your questions and concerns and then further the conversation. We're really excited about the opportunity to begin moving this conversation forward in a way that equips the saints, builds up the church, and brings glory and honor to God. So, get your pens and journals and enjoy the next conversation in our series, Pastoral Care for the Sexually Struggling. So, Peter, you've been kind of laying out this framework for us to be looking at when we're doing pastoral care for people who are struggling with same-sex attraction, that we should be looking for the prejudice or the misunderstanding that they've been experiencing, the shame that they've been experiencing, and the loneliness. And so we've already focused on the the prejudice and the misunderstanding, so we want to move the conversation on now and talk about shame. And why don't you just kick us off in that by talking about uh, some of your own uh, experiences of this throughout your life
1: yeah yeah well and actually before we get into that it, it probably yeah. be helpful for people to know where i get this framework f- uh from of the prejudice yeah, shame and loneliness i'm not pulling this out thin air i first like encountered this with the 1973 report um the 73 report doesn't use the exact same language but it uses the same framework um and uh, I, the first time I read it, I found it super, super helpful, and uh, that's how I've, uh, um, I've, I've used that as a sort of foundation. So this isn't a out of thin air sort of thing. Um, I've not, been not that really for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the uh, shame aspect of this. Uh, people have different definitions of, of of shame so the definition that I am using with this is the idea that you are unlovable uh, so it's not so much that you're not loved but that it is impossible to be loved um and so uh, somebody uh somebody who's attracted to the same sex can have this experience on multiple, Levels of love, your interactions with other people, but also um your relationship with God. Um, and that for me, that was the bigger aspect of my life journey because, like for many years, um like for my middle school, high school, and even probably a good chunk of my college years, I truly believed that God hated me because of my sexuality. And and much of that too is also aggravated by the experiences I had with the Exodus International and those uh, um, sort of quote unquote ministries. Um, uh, because that's kind of a um, an aspect of, of their their teaching as well that, um, yeah, that um, gay people can't uh, or people are attracted to the same sex. whatever language you want to use cannot have a good relationship with, with God. Um, and so, so that is, so me going like most of my, or a good chunk of my life, believing that, that is shame right there. And yeah. totally against the gospel in every respect. Uh, yeah. um, not purposely against the gospel, of course, but it's like the gospel is the idea that, that uh, um, God loves us even while we were still enemies like even when we were at our most unlovable state god so deeply loves us and so um that uh which this this should also be an indictment on the church too because um one of the reasons why i believed that is those are the messages i received from church and christian ministries like exodus and uh, all those sorts of things um so shame, shame can impact every aspect of, of somebody's life. Like if you, if you think you're hated by God, um, or if the, um, if the family you belong to or the church you belong to, if you think that you're unlovable or hated by that, those communities that will impact every aspect of, of your life. And, um, it, it it can be very difficult to, to uh, live in a healthy manner.
0: Yeah. Well, and so for you, you know, you, you were feeling like that was that because you were hearing these types of things from your, from your family or from your church, or you said you've heard that. I mean, probably not explicitly through Exodus international. I don't think they would explicitly say like, God doesn't love you. But maybe well, just in, in a way they, they around do, but <laughs> Oh really? Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I I don't have a lot of experience with them. So
1: <laughs> yeah, or like like Exodus really placed a different standard of, of uh what sanctification is, of that uh in order to be sanctified, you really have to become straight first, essentially. Um mm-hmm. Uh, like, you can't really live a life that's pleasing to God in the the um, current state of your orientation. Wow. Uh,
0: gotcha. So I can see then how that, like, misunderstand... This is why theology matters. <laughs> exactly. One, right? Because, uh, like, uh, like, misunderstanding theology or misunderstanding sanctification causes people to live in shame. If they think that's- that if they think that sanctification is like this immediate process in their life, then of course you're going to think like, well, I'm not being sanctified quickly enough. Maybe God doesn't love me.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's exactly it. And like, in my situation too, like looking back at it, I'm like, why did my sanctification process have to be different than the, the heterosexual person? Like, like sanctification is, uh, living. Like, if we look at the good old How to Work Catechism, it's like living in gratitude and thankfulness and following God's law out of that gratitude uh, for uh, God delivering us. It's a, it's a, um, it is it's conforming to God's law and things that Exodus did was not that. Um, they had a, a weird sort of um, therapy approach that uh, um, we had to... Um, have different markers of what sanctification is and i'm like our markers of sanctification is the fruit of the spirit is god's law it is uh um uh having that vibrant prayer life as the heidelberg catechism talks about so it's yeah good theology corrects a lot of this
0: <laughs> amen well and the heidelberg catechism right this is uh one of my favorite parts of the heidelberg catechism says you know what's involved in genuine repentance or conversion and it says two things right the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new and says well what's involved in the dying away of the old self to hate sin and to more and more run away from it right and it's this Mm -hmm. idea that it's like it's a progressive slow thing and then the opposite is to what's the rising to life of the new self is to uh, wholehearted joy in, in following christ I, I forget i don't have that part memorized perfectly but either way it's come it's, on man i, I expect know.
1: every single word man. of the heidelberg
0: <laughs> but you would think i would have it memorized since it's my favorite part because it it shows both and it shows this more and more running away from sin but it also shows more and more running toward wholehearted joy in christ um and both of it gives us the sense that it's, all, it's a long, slow process. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I think we need to understand. I, I still remember uh, John Piper. I almost said John Calvin, but they're different. Uh, John, <laughs> yes. John Piper being asked a question um, at a conference, and he was asked, like, when do you most doubt God? And he said, when I realize how slow my sanctification has been. And I thought that was profound in some ways when he, you know, I mean, that's kind of, well, whatever. It's kind of the Baptist in them, right? Baptists have this sense, like we almost, yeah, I don't know. Us reformed people are are told that we like live too much in our freedom and we're too free and Baptists are probably going to lean more toward legalism. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they have this sense where like, I need to be perfect, and I'm not, and so is God really working in my life, right? And so, again, it's a misunderstanding that sanctification in our own life is way slower than we want it to be, and the truth is it's going to be the same in someone else's life, but if we mess that up, then people start to feel this this shame, right, this unlovability by God.
1: Yeah, well, and, like, one of the ways, like, that you can address the shame at least within my life and might not be the same for for everybody but my my introduction to reformed theology one of the introductions um was through the issue of predestination i went through i went to the bible college i went to after my uh, high school years and time with Exodus International was a, a sort of anti-Calvinist uh, Church of Christ Bible College, um, and uh, it makes me laugh uh, because that was my encounter with good old Louis Burkhoff, and uh, um, and it was through me studying the topic of free will and predestination and going to Louis Burkhoff and Calvin and and whatnot that really kind of changed my perspective on these things um um because like if I believed that God hated me, but I was constantly searching after God um and trying to seek God with everything that I had i I'm like that there's just something going on here but when i look at like predestination or like the fact that god we love because god first loved us i wouldn't be seeking after god so hard if god didn't first love me like it's uh kind of it, it changed my entire uh perspective on like you know i don't think god actually does hate me now i know predestination is a controversial doctrine and and many like uh, some people have gotten like the opposite <laughs> reaction when, when they hear that. But but for me, it was the most comforting, comforting doctrine I, I encountered. Um, and it's, it's realizing that um, what a person is dealing with, uh, the situations that they're in, does not define um, the relationship that somebody has with God. It is Christ who defines that. Um, and so the, yeah, so the people in our churches, not just the people who are attracted to the same sex, but a whole variety of things can experience, uh, um, intense shame. And it is, uh, preaching the gospel clearly that, that God deeply loves the, the person that can really push back against that.
0: Yeah. Amen. I mean, and, and you're right. It's not just those struggling with same sex attraction who are experiencing this literally this week. I'm having a conversation with um, uh, someone who has said, um, you know, I don't know how God could love me um, based on things I've done. And, and so, and they're not struggling with same sex attraction. They're struggling with a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. Um, and so, and uh, so this is just a real thing throughout, but, but what in particular, I guess I want to, I want to bring it in. What in particular is it about those who are struggling with same sex attraction that, that has them feeling feeling shame
1: oh that's a tough one to answer um uh part part of it is like um it can be letting down expectations that that people have of you like one of one of the things that's so ingrained in in us as kids is like, Oh, when we get older, we'll get married, we'll have more kids. And, uh, um, and you have all these uh, expectations that are built. And um, what what can happen like for for me, part of the shame, like was realizing like, Oh, I, I always had this uh, dream of, uh, yeah, having a wife and kids. And that's like, Um, My parents also like built that dream, my church built that dream, like everybody kind of built that. And there can be an intense shame of like, that's not going to be my life. Um, And it's, uh, and then you like feel like you're in a spot where it's just like you're lesser than everybody else. Um, so that, that could be one, one thing that's built in, um, or the, the fact that like when you kind of go through your teenage years and you, um, like experience, uh, um, attraction and wrestle with sexuality, like everybody's wrestling with that in all variety of areas Um, But like when you realize that the way that you have to wrestle with it is completely different than your friends around you could produce a a shaming experience. Um, This is the topic of shame, though, is actually one area where you can really build bridges with uh, people who are on the more lack for lack of better term more progressive or liberal or affirming side of things because like when i read uh lgbtq literature uh like for um yeah when i when i read lgbtq literature one of the things that's always pointed out is the issue of shame yeah. um and uh and when you look at issues of suicide rates, drug rates, especially among gay men, it's three times higher than uh, most segments of the, the population. And um, psychologists uh, say that the core of that is the intense shame that the, the gay person experiences. And 1973 also points this out of this sort of disintegration that um a gay person can experience um uh, they don't use shame i don't think shame is used there shame is used in the hsr but i don't think it's used in 73 but but all these so like like a lot of people are saying that shame is kind of a core reason of why the the suicide rates and drug rates and all that are are through the roof for this population which which uh it's like hey we could we could be doing something here like this is this could be a a place of building bridges um of like let's let's address the the shame issue which like the core of addressing it is uh um god deeply loves us like that's it's it's the gospel like that that uh christ uh the philippians two passage that christ humbled himself um uh became man for us like like we can we can actually make some efforts to combat the 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 shame that that people can experience
0: yeah and i want to dive into that because i i think you're right and of course there's been uh in the CRC in particular, a little controversy around this because of some comments that were made at Synod about us having uh, blood on our hands, the conservatives. Which we
1: should talk about that, but yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and so there, um, you know, there's this controversy. We have blood on our hands because of the suicide, I assume that it wasn't, but uh, because of the suicide rates and so on and so forth, um, which does tie back to shame, but um, I'm not going to, say that this person's solution is this but some people would say well because of all of the shame then we need to affirm right they're they're feeling shame because we're not affirming their their identity in this their their lifestyle um so we need to affirm that to to overcome the shame and you're saying actually we just need to it sounds trite but we need to preach the gospel yeah Um, they need to understand the gospel that's really the way to overcome the shame
1: well, and i I think it's important to like like this is where I get frustrated with both uh more traditional conservative people and the affirming liberal people. Um, I just get frustrated with everybody, I guess <laughs> but um uh it's when you go directly to like the LGBTq community like for example, there's a a book. I'm not endorsing this book because uh, this a uh, lot of you would be horrified by what it says. Uh, but there's a a classic book in the LGBTQ community called "The Velvet Rage" by Ellen Downs, and it's uh, he's a gay psychologist. And uh, one of one of the things that he points to, like non-Christian, totally affirming same-sex marriage person, um, one of the things he really pushes is that like the relationships. Um, that gay people enter or a marriage or whatnot uh, do not solve the problem of shame. Uh, that these things don't actually bring down the suicide rates. Uh, we need to figure out the shame issue. Now, I disagree with his solutions to the shame issue, but I think it's very telling that when you actually look at sources within the LGBTQ community, um, it's the the debate over marriage actually doesn't address the problem and uh so one of the things that i heard at uh Synod, like that I, like <laughs> and this is where it gets a little tricky um is like all the difficulties that gay people experience um that you heard from the more affirming progressive people which i totally agree with like it's and I even agree it's real like it's uh uh but uh, there was this sort of jump made that the solution to that is marriage. Yeah. Um, when you're, and the issue I have with that is not even like, of course, some people in the LGBTQ community agree with that, but not everybody like, yeah. uh, Ellen Downs is well-respected within the, the gay community. And, uh, he's, he's like, you begin with the shame first, uh, marriage doesn't solve that. And, And so it's like, like, can we at least listen to that community better and not just like the weird political tribalism that we're in? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's legitimate critique and criticism there, right? That there is this shame that that people are feeling. And, uh, and I think we can admit that, that the church hasn't done a good job of dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, say that, some people's solution to address that shame is also wrong, right? And so, but but we can hear the critique, and and I've seen that, um, I've seen exactly what you just described, and, and and friends of mine or people I've ministered to throughout the the years who have kind of, they felt that shame, and they thought the solution to that was to embrace the lifestyle, you know, to get married, to to just live that out. And yet you still saw the shame there, right? That didn't solve the problem of, of the shame. And they still dealt with that. And, uh, and sadly, some of them did take their lives. Right. Yeah. Well, and, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, and it's like a helpful way of looking at this is in um, uh, heterosexual marriage. Would we tell people that that solves the shame that a person is dealing with? No, we would say like, uh, you should get some counseling and yeah. uh, work through these issues and, uh, um it's like we don't think that marriage or we shouldn't think that marriage solves all of our problems uh um on and in the day-to-day lives of most people. Why do we say that it should for uh this other group of people as well? Like it yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's uh the blood on your hands comment though from Synod that did throw me for a loop but in like a different way where i i understand the the heart of that comment that's that's made because like i've like for me faces like real people show up in my mind when i when i hear comments um like that because like yeah i i've known plenty of people who've experienced a lot of mental distress, addiction. Um um uh, I thankfully don't know anybody yet who's committed suicide, but I know a lot of my friends who are attracted to the same sex who are suicidal and that could happen. Um like these are real things and I very much appreciate the heart of that person's comment. But I really struggle uh because uh what they did in in the comment there was related to 1973 yeah um and uh it's uh like you you see like what they're trying to do is related to the fact that we don't allow same sex marriage is why this is continuing and i actually think it's uh because we haven't followed 1973 is why this Is continuing because 73 addresses these issues very well. Um, there's a section in 73 called The Plight of the Homosexual. The title makes me laugh, but it's a um, it covers it covers that incredibly well. And it's just like it's because we haven't been following this wisdom is that we're dealing with this now, yeah,
0: yeah, and sadly um just to build off i have uh, most of it's this been this weird thing just i think the populations that i have pastored uh but my ministry has been marked um by suicide i have dealt with it from the beginning i mean i've done way too many funerals for people who've committed suicide and i've been to way too many uh 72 hour holds of people who attempted and I, I i it's just been plagued by it and so i have I have dealt with people who have, you know, attempted or committed suicide. And some of them did struggle with same-sex attraction, right? And so, like, yeah, the umbrage I took with the uh, we have blood on our hands is I've dealt with people on both sides, like not people I've dealt with people who were part of an affirming congregation and affirming and all all of their identity and still felt that shame and still took their life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, the, the solution isn't to change the doctrine. I think you're right that, that we just haven't lived up to it. We've, you know, our life and our doctrine have not walked hand in hand. You know, we we've said we believe certain things and then we haven't lived those things out. And that's where some of the problem is, but the, the solution isn't to, to change it, the solution. And again, I say it sounds trite because people get angry when you say like, well, the solution is just the gospel. And it's like, but it, but it is right. Cause that's where we, we truly see who God is and who we are. Right. And that, and that that is really the solution to this the the this, the problem of shame
1: one of the most helpful books that i've encountered that addresses shame um for all christians is a uh, gentle and lowly um, um by dane ortland i think that's his name yeah um I highly recommend the book if you haven't read it i have a feeling most of the people who listen to this podcast have at least heard of it and so but it's a uh, it's been a helpful book, I think, within my ministry setting too, to uh for people to um recognize God's heart because that's that really helps push back the the shame because when we understand God's heart and God's deep care and love and and um and and whatnot, like we we can uh take that truth and just push that against the lies that we experience. And
0: yeah yeah so as we're doing pastoral care for someone um and again we're focusing specifically on those struggling with same-sex attraction uh what types of things should we be looking for that are going to cue up like oh here's here's where this person's experiencing shame or this is the way in which they're experiencing shame what types of words or phrases or thoughts should we be looking for
1: uh let me let me um change that a little sure. bit um um because everybody will kind of express the shame differently so i really kind yeah. of uh, struggle of like uh, uh these are the signs that that we're looking for i i think what's helpful is to um be careful not to add to that burden um and so one of one of the things like one of the things that concerns me about how we've been discussing the hsr um in the denomination is uh people who are attracted to the same sex can see themselves as a problem Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: it's uh and it makes sense why because everybody is debating ruthlessly um over over this and it's just like so if somebody sees themselves as the problem the shame is going to increase all the more yeah. and i like one of the things that i am ultra critical of with how the denomination is having uh these conversations because of course the issues are very very important like the the theological biblical implications are huge uh but we we can be gentler and not aggressive and we could be filled with kindness and peace um and it's essential with this because um when when uh, people are attracted to the same sex sees the controversy they will take that controversy and place it on themselves
0: Hmm.
1: and that will increase the the shame tenfold if if they see themselves as the problem in the church we we have to change that
0: yeah yeah and that's a good word i mean so not just like going into the conversation looking for the shame just going into it with the the understanding and probably i know assumptions are usually a bad thing but going in and just assuming that there is shame there and looking at ways to help them overcome that shame is that kind of what you're help them not, not add shame to them obviously but also help Um, As you're building this relationship, as you're having this conversation, look at ways to help apply the gospel to their life in ways that kind of help overcome and relieve the shame that they're experiencing.
1: Yeah. Like there's um, um, like, I think a helpful approach to these things is uh, uh, um, making sure you're not adding more burdens. So there's a book out there uh, called uh, heavy burdens by uh, Bridget Eileen Rivera. Now, some of her arguments and some of her ideas would just horrify some people. So that's my caveat there. But the the uh, approach that she takes in that book is uh, because she's somebody who's attracted to the same sex and committed to celibacy, and uh, she takes the the serve approach. Is like it's already. Uh, a, a difficult sacrifice to be committed to celibacy. Um, But so we expect that there will be some hardships just related to that. But what the church tends to do is it tends to add even more burdens to that hardship. And so we need to be ultra aware, I think of like, Oh, is the way I'm having this conversation. Am I adding more burdens to a life that's already difficult?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah, how can we how can we come in and lift burdens and uh and help equip and empower, right? I think that's a big a big part of it. Cuz some people wanna again, you know, the the concern, I think like most pastors that I know really love people, right? They're not just big jerks who are wanting to come in and like beat someone over the head with the bible right
1: they're in ministry because they love people like yeah
0: i mean that's the reality so like (laughs) even the conservatives right we we don't like find joy walking around like beating people over the head with bible verses no matter what you know if we want to be characterized by that but i think sometimes it happens again because we're afraid that we're gonna you know there's some people that want us to lift burdens by, by ignoring them or whatever. Right. Or that's kind of the the wording. And so we're like, Oh, we don't want to ignore this. We gotta, we gotta call out the sin and we got to do this. And, and yet there's ways to call out sin and lift a burden at the same time. Right. And that's called the gospel, <laughs> like repent and believe. Right. And so I think, I think we, again, it keeps coming back to the gospel because I think we need to have a deep understanding of the gospel like not more than just a surface level of it the deep understanding and how that applies to people's lives as we interact with them
1: yeah so let me let me read a portion uh from the 1973 report that'd be great within uh yeah so it says within this fellowship of love the homosexual who has been justified and sanctified by Christ must be accepted in his homosexuality so that in the congregation he does not need to wear a mask and conduct himself like a hypocrite, living in constant fear of discovery and exposure, nor when his identity is known should he receive the painful rejection and diminution homosexuals so often experience. He deserves the same acceptance, recognition, compassion, and help that is given to any person. Unfortunately, the homosexual has not experienced this kind of love and acceptance of his person in either church or society. It has been said that the homosexual has been far more sinned against than he has sinned. In the light of our understanding of hom- homosexuality today, Christians bear a great burden of guilt relative to such persons. And, yeah. and so that's <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that's... Uh, that is, that is key. And the HSR echoes this too, because like the HSR makes it pretty clear that within our churches, people who are attracted to the the same sex need to be, um, able to be involved in every aspect of the church community, like even being deacons and elders and pastors. Um, And 73 says this as well. Like if, if somebody submits themselves to the yoke of Christ, they should like everybody else, they should be included into all aspects of, of the church community. So, so that would be a way to address shame here is to have like if there's somebody who's attracted to the the same sex in your church, don't see them as a gift. I mean, as a burden, but as a gift. Yeah. Don't see them as a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Don't see them as a burden, but as a gift to the church community Uh, because 73 and HSR also say that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you're kind of getting at uh, you know, I haven't done a lot of like deep study on shame. I mean, we kind of have this understanding of it just biblically, but But what you, as we've been talking about it, you've been kind of looking at, like, two different aspects of shame, I would say. One is this, like, not feeling loved by God because of who you are, but there's also, like, basically the two greatest commandments, right? You're not feeling loved by God, and you're not feeling loved by others, right? You're feeling, like, separated, like other, like, I'm not really part of the community, and and I'm not really loved by God. And so, like, if we're going to really do a good job of addressing this shame for those with this struggle in our churches, we need to do a good job of helping them understand God's love for them, um, but also our love for them in the community. Like, we love you, and we're here for you, and we're going to support you. We're going to walk alongside you in this journey. Cause uh I think uh the pastoral care that I've done over the last few years with those uh not just struggling with same-sex attraction but other different sexual struggles um they interpret our silence as rejection right or or they interpret like they interpret like um like if I haven't called them recently, it's like, oh, it's because they just have thrown me off. Like everybody else has thrown me off. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you start getting underneath that. And that's that shame again, of, from the community, like, see, I'm not really one of them. I'm not really cared for by them. And so um, the importance of kind of beefing up our community to be able to envelop and enfold people and walk with them in this journey, that's a, that seems to be a huge part of, of uh, overcoming shame.
1: Well, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's important to realize of why um, the, the LGBTQ community, the culture has developed um, uh, because like when you're dealing with something where you feel rejected by God and by the community, the religious community that you grew up in and, uh, um, and your family, like if of, if all of those things have produced a ton of shame in your life and you've experienced those reject that rejection, um, you're going to leave and try to find people that you can have that community with and try to replace the, those gaps. Um, like, uh, I think it was Andrew Marin. I'm trying to remember who it was, did a, did a study um, that said that 80% of those in the LGBTQ community grew up in the church. Um, Now, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know, but uh, it, it should be, it should be like a clue to us, like, like, Oh, people are trying, they lacked that community in the church and they're trying to find a community. And so what, what, could alleviate that is providing that community which would lead into our next topic so
0: it would that would i mean the reality is each one of these frameworks uh the the prejudice misunderstanding and the shame and the loneliness they're all deeply connected oh yeah because uh i was thinking of a conversation i had with somebody recently who uh they struggle with kind of gender identity issues And, uh, and I was talking to them and they had said a pretty like bold statement, like my parents don't love me. And, uh, and I have a good relationship with this person. So I kind of pushed back and said, do you really mean that? Do your parents not love you? And they're like, well, they just don't understand me. And I'm like, yep, that's, that's accurate. Right? Like, I think, yeah, I know your parents, they love you. They don't understand you. They don't know how to engage in a conversation with you. They're kind of feeling lost in the midst of this, right? Cuz they yeah. they're like, "Oh, we don't we love you, but we don't know how to talk to you about this. We don't appreciate the way you're living out this lifestyle right now." And so what they do is they they pull away. And uh and cuz they just don't know how to interact with people. And so then they pull away and then what comes from that? Shame because they feel rejected and mm-hmm what we're going to talk about eventually loneliness because they feel rejected. Right. And so these yeah. are all really deeply connected. And, uh, and it's really, I think a call for, for the church to say like, for one, like, let's just repent of that. Like I think we've avoided a lot of conversations cause we just didn't know what to do or how to have them. And so that's where we've caused shame and loneliness cause we've just walked away from that. And so, and then once we repent, then we need to like change the way we act. Right. We need to start like just diving in and having some of these conversations and saying, Hey, we've messed up. We're sorry. Let's try to figure out how to do this better.
1: I I think that's it. And I think the reality is too, people do get like rejected from, from their families um, and from their churches and whatnot. And like one of my friends, him and his wife, they, uh, uh, provide a home for uh gay people who've been kicked out of their houses um, um and all of them in um not all of them crc but all of them in uh church uh christian environments and uh so they uh they're becoming known of like being this like sort of place of refuge uh like when that does happen um somebody can go there uh what if church communities committed to that sort of thing because i i know it's not as common but it's common enough uh where like if a church uh hears of a um a a gay person or somebody who's attracted to the same sex being kicked out of their house provide a house for them like just make that commitment and like this is we'll do this sort of thing like like have actions that back up our words here
0: Yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I I just keep I keep thinking of uh, the number of people, and and this isn't always the best way to understand this, but right, the worry is uh, for some I think is okay if we're are we then supporting someone in their in their sin, and and that's probably a conversation we're going to have to get to eventually, uh, you and I talking about okay how do we how do we uh, draw lines in in a, in you know, encouraging someone living a sinful lifestyle, if that's what they're doing, um, or or just supporting people who've been mistreated, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a really that's a struggle, right, it, it, uh, for people because we 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 all want to love people, right? But um, so, like my example, um, well, I should be careful, but um, example would be a person. Who is uh, who is an alcoholic, right? And and then people are around them enabling them in their alcoholism out of the name of love, right? And what they're doing is they're actually not helping them, right? They're they're actually kind of leading to their their destruction in some ways. And so we don't want to do that, but but we also don't just like cut them off and say, well, go destroy yourself, right? And so like how do we how do we walk that line?
1: This gets this gets really tricky because as we talked about earlier with sanctification, it's a it's a long process. Um and uh like it, it makes me laugh that I'm going to bring this up. I'll bring it up. Let, let's talk about clarity here. Um <laughs> the the theme of this year's synod, clarity 2022. Um or should be 2020, but anyway, um it's I clarity is important. And I'm somebody who's all about the perspicuity of scripture. Like it's uh um uh scripture is clear, but we also need to add that sort of personal element where somebody who's going through something, it's not near as clear. Um, like for like some of you may say, like, oh, scripture is very clear on um issues of uh, same-sex relationships and whatnot and and it is but for me it took years and years and years of wrestling and digging into scripture and it's been a long 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 journey and uh, because it's a very personal thing for me and i have to like work out like try to be aware of my own blind spots my own weaknesses and and all that stuff and so one of the things that we need to be aware of, like, yes, we believe in the clarity of scripture, uh, but we also need to realize somebody in the midst of these things, things are not as clear. And so, so I get the, um, the importance of like, you don't want to like, uh, um, be a support for somebody who's continuing in sin, uh but we should we should also be incredibly patient, like uh, because if somebody is actively wrestling with these things, it could take years. Yeah, and it's like like be be patient in the same way that God is incredibly patient.
0: Yeah, Amen. And I think and one of the things um, that I've experienced just recently. Um, interacting more and more with with people with the various kind of sexual struggles is that um, I actually can get to a place where they go, uh, and I just had this conversation with someone uh, about a month ago. We, you know, like, you know, I love you. You know, I care for you. You know, I'm here to support you, right? Yes. You also know (laughs) And they said, but I also know you don't agree with what I'm doing in my lifestyle and where I'm going. And I'm like, yes. And, and we can be in this situation where I'm loving you. I'm supporting you. I'm caring for you. I'm going to call you up. Um, and yet I know you're, you are still wandering down a path that I think is, is going to be detrimental to you, but I can still support you without supporting your sin. Right. And so that's kind of the nuance of these conversations. And I think. You know, people worry that we can't actually get to those positions, but we actually can get to a position where they realize that about us as well.
1: Yeah, like a sign of a good friendship is when you can speak your mind and you're not worried about the repercussions. Um, So, like, I think people are often at that state, like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? This relationship has ended. I'm like, that means you need to get to a point where you can say the wrong thing and know that the relationship won't end. Um And that takes that takes a whole lot of time and building trust and uh, a lot of intention. and <laughs> but that's a very important place to be in.
0: That's it for this week's pastoral care conversation. Stay tuned next week to hear Peter and I talk about the issue of loneliness. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.